Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 758 with Caroline Miller. Caroline has got some excellent wisdom on how to thrive and succeed by developing your grit. So you'll learn one, why grit is essential to success. Two, how humility cultivates grit. And three, why everyone needs a mastermind group. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP758. And while at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out our Gold Nugget emails, which give the summary, actionable wisdom in a quick email you can read in about two minutes, as well as that unlocks the vault of all such summaries. That's the Gold Nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here's Caroline's story. For three decades, Caroline has been a pioneer with her groundbreaking work in the areas of goal setting, grit, happiness, and success. She's recognized as one of the world's leading positive psychology experts on this research and how it can be applied to one's life for maximum transformation, flourishing, and growth. Caroline helps people identify, come up with a plan for, and persist in pursuing their toughest goals, leading to their success, happiness, and flourishing while inspiring those around them. Caroline is a graduate of Harvard and has a master's in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania and has authored seven books, including Creating Your Best Life and Getting Grit. Big thanks to Caroline for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Caroline. Caroline, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Ah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Oh, I'm excited too. I want to hear all about your your wisdom when it comes to grit. And first, I want to hear about how you apply it in your own world. You are an expert in goal accomplishment, a, a top-ranked master swimmer, have a black belt in Hapkido. It, it seems like you're, you're walking your talk. Is there a key insight or learning that has been super transformational and useful for you a, across these different domains? Well, the one you didn't mention is the one that actually taught me grit. And that was, um, I overcame bulimia at a time when it was thought to be impossible and we were considered unhelpables and it was a death sentence. And um, I learned how to overcome bulimia one day at a time. And I wrote the first book by anybody who overcame bulimia and lived to tell the story. That book, My Name is Caroline, is still in print, but really that's what taught me grit. And it also taught me that joy comes from helping other people to have grit. So um, that's the most important thing I learned from getting better and staying better actually all these years. Mm -hmm. So you said the joy comes from grit and teaching others to have grit. Yeah. I, I was told something very important early in my recovery, which was you can't keep what you don't give away. 
You know, it's great, Caroline, that you're getting better. It's great that you're overcoming this eating disorder and you're, you know, found time and you've got joy and you've got your life back and you're not lying and stealing and whatever, but who are you helping? And I really do believe grit is only useful when it's actually uplifting other people as well. When they witness acts of grit that they ask themselves, what if I live like that? What if I took those kinds of risks? What if I left it all on the floor? So I think grit is only good when it's not just a self-focused behavior, when the behavior itself actually makes other people want to be better as well. And I think that was the most important thing I learned ever in life. And it, it guides everything I do. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's awesome for the other people. And it's also awesome for you. Can you share, is it just because of the, uh, the purpose and the, and the joy and the motivation that that unleashes, or is it because of sort of an accountability effect? Like, oh, well, Caroline's the, <laughs> the role model. Uh, I, I don't want to slip up or how's that work internally? Well, so this is where my fifth book, creating your best life comes in. So I went back to Penn. I got um, a master's degree in positive psychology in 2005, just really lucky, one of the first 32 people in the world to get it. It was there that I discovered that happiness precedes all success and that all goal setting has to be preceded by emotional flourishing. And that's where I learned that real joy came from helping other people to accomplish their goals as well. And so what's important to me is that when I am gritty, when I am pursuing really hard goals, it really helps that other people know about my goals, the right people, and that it gives me a sense of pride and fulfillment that is just not available when all you focus on is yourself. And what am I doing? And where am I going? And what school am I in? And what job you know, do I have? And what, what do I make? And so I think the biggest shift from the 20th century, kind of the law of attraction approach to goal setting and grit, et cetera, has been to the 21st century of it's not about self-help, it's about helping other people as well. And so I think that it wasn't possible for me to keep any of these things until I turned and gave them away to other people. And so that's really what I've learned in life, but also through the research I learned at UPenn and, and afterwards. Awesome. Cool. Well, well, that's a, that's a powerful lesson right there. And uh, let's hear, how would you articulate sort of the, the key thesis in your book, Getting Grit, the Evidence-Based Approach to Cultivating Passion, Perseverance, and Purpose? What's kind of the big idea here? The big idea is that you can cultivate grit and everyone should cultivate grit. I think this is a quality um, that is not a nice to have, it's a need to have. And as a mother, I observed my three children growing up in the DC area, having all competitions stripped out of their lives. It was everybody has won and everyone must have prizes. They got rid of valedictorians, they got rid of fun runs. I just couldn't get over the trophies my children accumulated by the age of 17 that when we threw them out, no one even noticed. And so what I think is most important is that you need to cultivate grit because every night we scan our days for what we did that day that was hard. And we do it without even knowing we're doing it because those are the things that give us pride. Those are the things that give us a sense of self-accomplishment, self-efficacy. And in order to do hard things, you have to cultivate grit because the hardest goals, the most satisfying goals are outside of your comfort zone. And we have an entire generation that grew up having those lessons forcibly taken out of their schools, their activities, and elsewhere. And so the thesis is grit really matters, but you can learn how to have it. It's not something that's specially born to Olympians. It's out there for the taking, but you have to cultivate the qualities that build it. Cool. So that's an interesting notion that you say, before we go to bed, our brains scan through the day 
and think about what hard thing did we do? And then we feel pride associated with it. You know, I, I think that's interesting in that as I think about my own days, I really do want to have some some victories. And it, it's interesting in my own brain, like what counts, you know, in, in terms of, of a win or, or doing a hard thing. Like Caroline, I just love chatting with you and 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 guests and learning stuff. Like it's almost too easy in, in, in that it's it doesn't require much, I don't know, hustle, uh, kind of sacrifice. Like, oh, let's get through this. It's like, no, this is this is going to be a blast. So, in in a way, I mean, this is, uh, I hope, uh, a very meaningful contribution to tens of thousands of listeners who are like, oh, this is a really useful insights. Thanks, Caroline and Pete. Uh, this will uh, give my life a little upgrade. That's that's kind of what we're going for. So, in a way, you know, that certainly quote unquote counts as an achievement. But it doesn't feel like it counts to me as as a hard thing that I did. It's sort of like, I just did that thing I love doing. So how do you think about this? Okay, so there's something called goal-setting theory. It's Locke and Latham. And so that was kind of stuck in academia until I brought it out and put it in Creating Your Best Life. And that ended up being the first evidence-based goal-setting book, which is still amazing to me. But what's really important is that goals are learning goals and performance goals, and you have to know the difference and you have to um, pursue your goals in different ways, depending on whether you're doing it for the first time and learning how to do it, or it's something you've done before. And this is something you've obviously done before over and over and over again. You are in the midst of executing a performance goal. It's a checklist approach, like a pilot taking off in a plane. This is not hard for you anymore, is my guess. So I'm I'm not going to think that at the end of the day, you've scanned your day and said, what did I do today that was really hard outside of my comfort zone? I think this is a huge contribution. It's an intrinsic goal, obviously. But is it outside your comfort zone? Only you know that. But my guess would be no. No, not yet. I mean, Caroline, you might you might pull some some tricks <laughs> well, that, that make me a little uncomfortable. We'll, we'll see where this goes. But uh, but generally, no. You know, it's sort of like, hey, we're going to have a fun conversation, learn some stuff, and this is what I like doing, and I've done it 700 times, so it's all good. What is the hardest thing that you did yesterday? Let's see. You know, in the gym, I did some things that were a little bit harder and different than what I'm accustomed to in terms of, like, going longer. So that... That was something. Like toddlers made a big old mess <laughs> across the Parenting house. is hard. Took me a while, my wife and I, a good while to reset that back to to proper when I was tired and just sort of wanted to go to bed. So mm-hmm. uh, those it's funny, th- those things come to mind, whereas work, it wasn't too tricky. You know, I, I was at the bank for a while, chatting with bank people. <laughs> um, yeah, work very is pleasure. Friendly. Right? When you find the thing you're passionate about, you can be in flow. And it's not as much of a challenge as maybe it was in the beginning when you're learning what kind of microphone to get. How do you prepare your guests for an interview? How do you make sure it goes smoothly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the two things you just mentioned, parenting and parenting well, and being in the gym, going out of your comfort zone, using the quality of self-regulation or willpower, that is really an important ingredient in cultivating what I call authentic grit. You have to have the ability to delay gratification. So at the end of the day, when we've often delayed gratification, had the humility to be learners, 
not, you know, the arrogance that we know it all. And we've gone out and maybe used a trainer. That takes a certain amount of humility. Those are the things at the end of the day, they build emotional muscle, but they also build physical muscle. And those are some of the most important ingredients of really good grit. And humility was my big surprise. There's so much research on humility, but I don't think most people understand that humility is a quality that you see in the kind of grit that makes people push through all kinds of discomfort, all kinds of people questioning their goal, making fun of them, many dark nights of the soul. People don't always understand either that grit is not resilience. Resilience is short-term discomfort getting through something. Grit, the idea of grit is it's baked into it that this is a long-term goal. This is something you're going to have a lot of setbacks, a lot of challenges, a lot of dark nights of the soul. And the humility of just one day at a time, learning from others, learning from failure, having patience and persistence and purposes. This is my goal. This isn't my mother's goal. This isn't my husband's goal, my parents' goal, my teacher's goal, none of that. This is my goal. And that purpose, that intrinsic purpose is what allows people to continue to cultivate grit. When I overcame my eating disorder, it was really one of the first things I had ever taken on as a huge goal where I, a good chance I was gonna fail. I tried to get better. But I wasn't ever able to get better, nor did I know anyone else had who had either. So for me, that was the hardest, biggest goal, but I did it because I wanted to live and I didn't want to die. I was a newlywed who had hit her last bottom at the age of 22, a Harvard graduate whose biggest secret was my bulimia. It had killed my swimming career. I mean, it, it took so much from my life, but because it was my goal, I was able to cultivate grit by just one day at a time doing what I had to do to delay gratification, surround myself with good people, the right people, and just move patiently to the finish line, which I did. Mm-hmm. And can you expand upon the how humility is, is helpful in, in grit and goal achievement? So there are two kinds of humility. There is social humility, the ability to step back in a conversation or any kind of environment and let somebody else get all the airtime, be the star. You don't have to be the star of every conversation or every setting. So there's social humility, and it's called one of the most important lubricants of being in a relationship. And then there's intellectual humility. You know that you don't know everything. You're very comfortable being surrounded by people who can teach you things. And so that kind of humility is what gives people access to learning from really good people, from knowing that you can build bridges and not have to be the hog all the time and other people can shine. They want to be part of your team when you're going for something hard because they know that you'll be there for them as well. What's very interesting also, and this is something I've been focused on the last couple of years, is humility cuts in different ways for men and women. Women who exhibit humility in the workplace often get run over by colleagues. And I've coached a number of CEOs who are women who have humility in their top five. I talk about the VIA character strength test. That's my go-to test. It's free. I love it. It's just fabulous. But when you have humility somewhere in your top five, it doesn't always work well for women, but it is a great quality for grit. In the workplace, you can be seen as a pushover. But in terms of your own personal goals, humility is a really good rocket fuel for being able to stay the course with your own important goals. 
And, and is that sort of because it's like, hmm, all right, it looks like I need some help here, or hmm, looks like I've been need to change my approach. <laughs> what I've been doing hasn't worked, as opposed to, no, I uh, I conquer all, and I shall defeat this too. Yeah. And and so when you interview great athletes, my great uncles were Olympic gold, silver and bronze medalists. And this was true of them as it is true of all kinds of athletes that we all know or have seen on television or read about. They don't want to win against bad players, bad teams. They want to win against the best. They want to know that when they went out and they conquered the world or set a world record or did the best they could, that it was not against people who were weaker than them, not as you know effective as them. It was the best. And so that is one of the signs of truly elite athletes is they have the humility to know that they want to play against the better people because they'll learn if they lose. But they also know if they won, they truly won in the best possible way in the best possible arena that tested them. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, oh, I, I, what's most important is the win itself. I think there are some who just like the winning more than the learning. And so it's like, if they could have easier, I've talked to some gamers. I don't know, this is a weird example, but it's <laughs> this has always surprised me from video gamers. They're like, oh, I, I hate this new skill-based matching where they put me with other good people. Or I want to beat all the Christmas noobs who get the game on Christmas and for the first time. And, and I find that surprising. Like, don't you want to like play other people who are excellent, who like, challenge you to like do your very best? And they're like, no, I, I take delight in just slaughtering the less skilled and experienced. And I, I, I found that kind of curious. Well, so that's that's what Carol Dweck at Stanford calls a fixed mindset. And unfortunately, that has become such a, a defining criteria for the generation that grew up where we were all told to make our kids happy. Just tell them they're great. Give them what they want. Make them happy. And if they're happy, they're going to you know have confidence and high self-esteem. And the truth of the matter is, and the results are in on this, movement where everyone got trophies and everyone was told they were the next Picasso is that we created more narcissists and sociopaths than we did people who had confidence, who would go out with a a work ethic and they were willing to start at the bottom. This is where you are afraid to burst your bubble of believing that you are all that. So you stay inside this little fixed arena and you only do things where you know you can't lose, you can't be shown up, you can't be seen as stupid. A growth mindset is everything is something you can learn from. I will grow my intelligence. I will grow my skills. And that kind of mindset is the kind of mindset that leads to a flourishing life. So you don't want to play small. But that's been one of the things that we've seen coming out of the self-esteem parenting movement. And that's really the millennials, not all millennials, But generally, psychologists and sociologists found that this is a generation that didn't really climb trees. They didn't break their legs. They didn't go and start businesses. Entrepreneurship went down 9% in this phase. Traveling with comfort animals, pigs, turkeys. I mean, the things that I chronicled in Getting Grit were hysterical. I was interviewing flight attendants who told me about all these comfort animals that would show up in the plane. and, And they knew. They knew from looking at the person who brought the animal on, they knew if it was a a real support animal or not by how they made contact with the pet. But we became a generation that basically said you can never, ever feel uncomfortable. Trigger warnings everywhere. I mean, it really went too far. As a result, we paid a price. The average male marathoner got slower by 42 minutes because there was no real metric by which to measure yourself if everyone got a trophy. It's fascinating. I guess I was hoping that maybe more newbie runners picked up the sport and and 
call me a growth mindset <laughs> practitioner. That did like, happen. Maybe we just had more noobs who were getting started and, and, and we could celebrate that. Or, or maybe, I don't know, everyone got soft. I don't know. <laughs> but that was celebrated. Both happened. It's not either or, it's both and. So the color runs did bring more people in where there were no times. You just had paint thrown at you. That was fun. It did make a lot of people more fun. However, there was a cost at the other end, which was, you know, without any real celebrating of elite athletes. I mean, remember, I just, I said this a little earlier, but it still surprises me. A lot of schools, including my kids' high school, got rid of valedictorians and any kind of class rankings because it made people feel bad. So I think that there was a cost on either end. And I'll say there's a bad kind of grit that takes shortcuts to get all the glory. The people with really true grit earn because they do the hard work. They slog through difficulties. It's called, I call it faux grit. You know, people who take shortcuts or who lie about their achievements um, so that they will get other people to admire them. The, the most egregious thing I found in my chapter that I wrote about faux grit is the opening to that chapter. And I write about there's this committee in the U.S. government that exists only to find people who pretend they're Medal of Honor winners, only to pretend they're Medal of Honor winners. Now, this is the highest award given out in the U.S. military, and you only get it for extraordinary valor. I mean, it's, it's, it's so rare. But people buy it on eBay. They buy it at flea markets. And they just want people to think they're all that, but that they have grit. If you take a shortcut, if you have a fixed mindset, but you want people to think you're really made of tough stuff, go out of your comfort zone and prove it. You'll feel better at the end of the day, and you'll have something to build upon that will take you to even better places after that. Well, so, uh, well now I'm all hung up on this Medal of Honor story. So so there is a, a governmental committee who like hunts down the fakers, and what do they do? Do they, do they prosecute them? What, what goes down? I don't think they prosecute them, but they strip it off their resumes. They just say, cut it out. I think they fine them. I think you get a stiff fine. And so, you know, I live in Washington, D.C., just outside Washington, D.C., and there was just a flight of valor that came to Washington this week, and it was four Medal of Honor winners. And, you know, they were met at the airport with, um, you know, a parade. And when they were on the plane, there was a water cannon salute. I mean, this is how people feel about people who throw their bodies on grenades and IEDs. There was this one helicopter pilot who was honored um, in Vietnam. He, re he rescued 73, 73 fellow soldiers under fire. That's a Medal of Honor performance. So I am deeply offended. I, don't, I didn't serve in the military, but I'm deeply offended that people would try to proclaim that as something they had earned. But this is, again, something we've seen as a result of this. All have won and all have, you know, must have prizes. We're seeing people faking their PhD research. We're seeing, you know, companies like Enron, for God's sake. When people came to uh, look at Enron, see, is this a company I want to invest in? They had an entire floor at Enron devoted to fake phones, fake traders, all just on the phone pretending to take orders. It was all fake. Wherever you see that kind of made-up environment, you see what I call faux grit. Okay. Well, so we've got a nice litany of stuff that's uh, not working so well when it comes to developing grit and when it comes to the, the best practices that do develop grit. We talked about doing a hard thing daily. And I don't know if you have any particulars on, on uh, suggestions or prescription or protocol there, but yeah, maybe more about that or some additional things that make a, a boatload of difference in terms of us developing grit. 
Well, there was a, an exercise that came about during the Oprah years, three blessings, three things I'm grateful for. I did a twist on that and I created a worksheet just called Three Hard Things. I think we all need to train ourselves to do hard things. Um, so I just think everybody at the end of the, every day should say, what did I do today that was hard? I think that's very important to build that muscle. The second is to take a look at the relationships, the people around you, because grit is contagious. And we know this because Angela Duckworth has studied um, the cadets at West Point, and they found that grit became the determining factor of whether or not someone dropped out of Beast Barracks that first summer, where the cadets, you know, are just pushed past all their physical and emotional limits. It wasn't about their GPA or anything else. It was grit that ended up being that determinant. And, and she studied the cadets and she found if you had a low grit score, they would room you with a higher grit score cadet. Why? Because when we're around people who have the right kind of grit, they awe and inspire us. So take a look at the people around you. What are they pursuing? What is their metric for success? Nicholas Christakis's research on social contagion also found that quitting smoking is contagious, as is gaining weight. I mean, behaviors become contagious. If you want to accomplish something difficult, you really need to take a look at who are the people around you who help you to catch and perform the behaviors that either have patience, humility, do hard things, have a certain amount of passion for something, not just a bunch of interests that are all over the place. So that's another thing. And I also think people should get used to just finishing things. If you start a recipe, follow all the directions. If you're on a treadmill and you put in 45 minutes, don't get off at 40. Start to build the expectation that you are a finisher. And there is a word in Chinese, shiku. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, but shiku basically means eating bitter. And so in China, the expectation by the parents is we presume our children are strong. And they're so perplexed that in the United States, we presume children are fragile, that we must protect them from things they don't want to hear, things they don't want to do. It's really interesting. And I think we have to presume strength in ourselves and the people who depend upon us to be their role models, their parents. Uh, and there has we really have gotten away from that. But the flourishing life is not the easy life. It's the life where you go out and you do hard things for the right reasons and in the process on inspire other people to ask themselves, well, what if I live like that too? What if I took those kinds of risks? What if I had that kind of dignity and self-respect that made other people want to be like me? There is a story I have in Getting Grit that I love to tell, and that is of an Iraq War veteran, Kevin Downs, who came back from the Iraq War basically almost a paraplegic. He was in a Humvee that ran over an IED and the other five people in the Humvee died. And he lived, but he lived with a lot of mangled limbs. And he went back home to Harpeth, Tennessee, where he was a three-sport athlete in high school. And he didn't know what he was waking up for anymore. His purpose had been duty on our country. He felt committed to the military and he felt like he was doing something good. He got discharged and he's back in bed, disabled, and he gets the idea, I know what I can wake up for. I will offer to cut the grass at the high school because I was a football player and this is the time of year when they need the grass cut. He called the high school. He said, do you mind if I come cut the grass? I just want to feel useful again. And here's the important point of the story. This disabled veteran, without giving a speech, without getting a trophy, I don't even think he got paid, riding a lawnmower 
impacted all of the youth who watched him. And so I saw the football coach from that high school interviewed on ESPN, and he made this observation. Every single teenage boy on my football team who had been whining about two-a-days, about heat, about bugs, about not wanting to be there, about how hard it was, stopped whining in the presence of this veteran cutting the grass. And I really sat back when I heard that story and I thought, this really does show that the right kind of good grit is contagious and it makes other people want to be better. That's the point of grit to make other people want to be better as well. It's not enough for us to do hard things, our own intrinsic goals. What about you can't keep what you don't give away? Role model the behavior that will make the next generation and the people around you better as well. Whew, that is, that is, it's meta. It's inspiring about inspiration. Uh, And it, it really, it's interesting how you think about, I'm trying to think about how to integrate that into my own goals. Like, in, in such a way that they can be inspiring for others, but also not like you're tooting your own horn. You know, like, isn't this awesome, the thing that I did? You know, <laughs> I don't know if you're at the gym, it's like, behold my perfected body. I mean, like, that's not probably a, a ideal <laughs> for a tone or, or, or inspiration. That's selfie grit. That's yeah, when totally. you are telling everybody about how tough you are. If you don't mind me just saying, I think the longevity of your show and the excellence that was asked of me, sending me a free microphone so that your show would be as excellent as possible. The reminders I got told me that you have a standard of excellence for your show and your guests that I don't think I've ever had in many, many, many years of lots and lots of interviews. I think without you actually saying that, you are demonstrating grit. This is what an excellent show with high standards can accomplish. We can impact a lot of people and give them the tools to have a better, more awesome life. So I think you are demonstrating grit. It's just people take for granted when they do it because quite often they don't realize that what they're doing in their own humble way is having an impact. Well, yeah, I, I think that's a beautiful point right there. And, and I guess there have been studies associated with the more that we can connect with the beneficiaries of, of the work we do, the more that connects us, you know, to purpose and, and energy and stuff. And, and sometimes I do, you know, trot out uh, favorite bits of feedback from listeners. One of my favorites was, I wake up <laughs> I wake up early so I can listen to it twice. One of my faves. Thank you, Ashley. No, I think you probably do more than you think you do. But I think everybody should ask themselves, am I doing something hard and doing it in a way that would make other people want to be better as well? When I looked at history, I found at every turning point in history, there was one figure who stood apart, who caused history to take a left turn. And those were people who had what I call this authentic grit. And it was because of how they did these hard things, the Martin Luther Kings, the Greta Thunbergs, the Malala Yousafzai. It's how they did them, you know, with dignity, with self-respect, with passion. It made them have followers. And that's where history changed. Good grit changes the world. Bad grit repels people. Okay. So we talked about doing hard things. We've talked about uh, finding the the inspiration, that uh, how that in- impacts other people. Any other you know, top do's and don'ts when it comes to getting gritty? 
Well, I do think it's important to really take a very hard look at the people around you. And I'm just going to a special call out to women because there's research by Shelley Gable at the University of California, Santa Barbara, that's probably my most referred to research. It's where you see the shades snap in people's eyes and the lights go on. And they realize that they've been tolerating disrespect possibly, which is keeping them from being gritty or accomplishing their goals. Her research says this, there is only one right way to respond to another person's goals or or dreams, or saying that they've succeeded at something. And that is with curiosity and enthusiasm. And that is the Rorschach test for whether or not a person who's around you should remain in your life in close contact with you. And women admit to being surrounded, 84% of women say they're surrounded by frenemies, friends who are enemies. And why do women do this? Why do women have passive aggressive or passive destructive comments and behavior? Because they think if they actually clear the space for themselves, they'll be seen as not nice. And even worse than that, one of the only changes that hasn't taken place in the workplace for women is how we perceive women who are goal-directed and agentic. So boys grow up hearing stories of being agentic. They see football teams, baseball teams. They see men pursuing goals. We don't really see that as much for girls. And so what we know is that women are told stories of a sisterhood and best friend and helping others. And so women really need to take a look at when you shared that good news with your friend, your sister, your mother, your cousin, your coworker, and you were proud of it, was there curiosity and enthusiasm? Did they hit like on LinkedIn or did they just go quiet? And Shelley Gable found that the most common thing women do is they go quiet, which is actually the cruelest thing that you can do to another woman's success. Why? Because sure, men do it, but it doesn't impact men the way it impacts women because we're wired for the tendon-befriend response. Oxytocin is released when women are connected and they do good things for each other. And so what happens when women go silent, which is where the whole mean girl thing, mean moms comes from, is women feel like they're in existential hell. It's almost as if they've died. And I'm on a mission now to make sure that women get into mastermind groups. If you want to do hard things, build a mastermind group with people who are active, constructive responders and share your hardest goals in the company of those people where they won't interrupt you, they won't mansplain you, they'll let you be an expert and they'll cheer you on. And the research shows that when you're in a group like that, you take more risks. But so many women play small because they don't know who has their back. In fact, Madeleine Albright just died as we're doing this interview. I grew up seeing Madeleine Albright. She was a mother. I was in close proximity to, and I'll never forget how mean the other mothers were to her. She has given interviews most of her life about the mothers I grew up with. I know who she's talking about. And she said they were horrible. They were cruel. They would ask her about her fruitcake recipe and not about you know the doctorate she had just received. And so I think we have to be really, really thoughtful about, are we truly, truly supporting women as they succeed and as they pursue hard goals? So when you said, is there something else? Yes. Look at the quality of the people around you. Are they active, constructive responders when you share your good news? And for women, it's even more important because the research shows that most women do surround themselves with frenemies. And the first response you get when you share a piece of good news, the first person you share it with, his or her response may cause you to give up that goal in the next week. Imagine. 
Imagine that, the impact other people have on us. And so, I, you know, anyway, that's another point that I really just wanted to drive home when you asked. Well, no, that, that is that is powerful. And and now that you've got my antenna up, you know, curiosity and enthusiasm, and I, am I seeing that? And uh, boy, boy, a few things are coming to mind here. Well, one, accountability groups have been huge for me and in terms of just general life goals, like folks help support each other as I've done that in different, usually like roommates or, or men's group settings. And then specifically in podcasting, I've got a mastermind group. Every one of them has been a guest on the show and vice versa. And it's been exactly what you say with regard to taking those risks is we're like, we, we feel it's like, is this price too high? I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could ask for that much. Like, yes, you absolutely can. It's like, ooh, should I follow up again on this opportunity? I don't want to be a pest or no. He's like, yes, you absolutely, like a lot of the conversations are associated with, ooh, I feel kind of uncomfortable and nervous about this thing. And they're like, yep, that's normal. And that's what needs to happen. So, and you can do it, go for it. You're, you're overthinking this, you're, um, you know, whatever. And, and so that's just been huge. I'm a big advocate for, for mastermind groups. And most women are not in one and they, and they don't know how to form one. And that's why Kristen Neff's research on self-compassion is so interesting because she just had that book come out in the last year, Radical Self-Compassion for Women. And she said that being in a group like this, doing anything for yourself is considered a radical act of self-compassion because women, again, are acculturated to take care of other people, not themselves. And I think this is where some of this passive aggressive, passive destructive behavior comes from. That's why I wrote a short ebook. It's available for purchase and download on my website. I think it's the most important thing I may have ever written. It's only 43 pages, but I laid out the case for why every woman needs to be in a very strategically formed mastermind group, but also why do we do this to each other? We do do it to each other. I mean, I'm not letting men off the hook for, you know, centuries and, you know, lots of really misbehavior, but we're shooting at each other inside the tent. And to me, that is partly why women have not made the strides we thought we would have made by now. And we haven't. When Adam Grant sent me that research showing that in companies, some of the mentoring that women say they're doing could not be matched with who are the mentees, I came up with a word that I thought would take care of this mentorship sponsorship dilemma that isn't really producing the results we're looking for in great numbers, and that is ampliship. And that's something Madeleine Albright was great at. Amplify the good news, the goals, and the success of other women with witnesses. Because if it didn't have a witness, it didn't happen. That's that's what I think. And that's why some of this research was stopped in these companies, because they couldn't find the mentees. So anyway, women need to be in mastermind groups, but not any old mastermind group, a very carefully formed mastermind group with certain guidelines. So That's my clarion call. All women, please value yourself and your goals highly enough to get the support from other women who have your back. You know who they are. I've given you the guideline, active, constructive, responding. Learn about goal setting theory, which is so important. All righty. Well, Caroline, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about some of your favorite things. I want to thank you for this opportunity to share this because as you can tell, I'm very passionate about it. And You don't just reach out and ask anybody. I appreciate the fact that you thought I did good enough work to ask me. So thank you very much. My work speaks for itself. And, you know, I can be found on my website. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, now let's hear about a favorite quote, something you find inspiring. My favorite quote is, ignorance shouts wisdom whispers. I think that says a lot. Mm -hmm. 
And maybe you've already mentioned it, but a favorite study, experiment, or bit of research? I think Shelley Gable's work on active constructive responding and the name of her research is What Happens Between Friends When Things Go Right. Talk about a great topic, right? Mm-hmm. And a favorite book? I think my favorite book right now is the George Washington biography by Ron Chernow. What an extraordinary leader. I kept hearing people talking about it. I thought, I'm going to go read that. I'm just aghast at what an extraordinary human being this man was. We're so lucky. Well, I remember uh, listening to 1776, and I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. <laughs> that dude, there's some grit, there's some self-sacrifice, <laughs> um, some impressive components. He was amazing. I had no idea. Wonderful biography. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? I find that Evernote Web Clipper and Evernote is the thing I cannot live without. I can't write a book without it. I will be a subscriber to Evernote for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And a favorite habit, something you do that helps you be awesome at your job. I get up early and I make a pot of coffee and I drink it all. And then okay. I go get in a swimming pool. <laughs> I'm in a swimming pool not long after that. And is there a key nugget you share that seems to connect and resonate? Folks quote it back to you often? You can't keep what you don't give away. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? To my website, carolinemiller.com. And as you know, people often think it's Carolyn. It's Caroline. Just think Princess Caroline, L-I-N-E, carolinemiller.com. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I really do believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. And instead of thinking about how can I succeed, ask somebody else what their dream is. And then when they accomplish something, make sure you share it with witnesses. I think we need to get away from how much can we accomplish and begin to think of it as kind of a a group event, because that's what we've gotten away from when we have to get back to that. So help other people. It will come back and bless you in many other ways. All right. Caroline, this has been a treat. I wish you much luck and success with your mastermind groups and research and all your adventures. Thank you so much. And I, again, I appreciate the audience. I love what Caroline had to say about mastermind groups. Those have been so powerful for me in, in podcasting and in life and virtue building. They've been a huge asset. So I recommend find some folks that you trust and you're okay sharing a little bit and you value their input and feedback in your life and you think they care about you and they're they're coming at it from a genuine, honest place. And whew, watch the transformation and the compound interest, if you will, of, of growth week after week or month after month unfold with those mastermind groups. It's a beautiful thing. So thanks, Caroline, for highlighting those and more. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP758. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.